0: Man, this week, if you haven't noticed a lot of people are excited about their basketball teams advancing. I get excited about when God is growing his church. Amen? amen And you can see evidence of that as he grows us out and he grows us deep and he grows us young. If you're new to FCC, we're glad you're here. If you're kind of uh, been around this past year and you haven't heard about the growth things, well that, we're focused on that, uh, that God is growing us out through the gospel that we we are sharing his good news, that we're growing deep in his word, and, and we're becoming more like Christ, and we're growing young as we walk with one another. Uh, you could walk with someone that's a child, or you could walk one with someone just younger you in the faith, and that's discipleship, and, and God's growing us in that. You need to hear that God is about growing his church for his glory. Uh, you also need to hear this, and it's so important in today's culture. You are amazing. And that, no, no response to that, okay? I'll say it again. You, the church, is amazing. Amen? Amen. It is. Uh, Not this building. While I I am thankful for this building, when I speak of the church, I'm speaking of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are amazing. God uh, has given his son Jesus, and by his grace, through faith, we are saved. You need to know that because our culture and personal opinion has led many people to believe right now that the church is not that important. I would guess more than one of you, probably most of you, have heard something about the church the last couple of months, maybe the last few years, that has kind of put the church down. Not, not just this church, but maybe the church globally. And listen to this, not that we're perfect, because we're not. This church is not perfect, uh, the church globally is not perfect, but what God has done through us through Jesus, He is building uh, for a future heaven that, that is perfect, and it involves you and I, the body of Christ. It's very, very likely, though, you've heard some lies or half-truths about the church of this world and right here uh, from people you know, from people you trust, and some, sometimes from people you even love. Uh, we, we can trust some strange things. We can begin to believe some strange things when we hear from people we trust. I saw daily go through that this week, not about the church, but about life. Um, last Sunday, if you remember, was Spring Forward Sunday. Uh, spring is actually going to arrive this week, but last Sunday was Spring Forward Sunday. And so I was at home with my mom and dad. They came to visit on Saturday, and the rest of our family were in the kitchen. We were talking, and it was getting late, but we were just kind of hanging out. Deacon came home from a full day's work all day Saturday, and then he was hanging out with his friends. And he got home and he stayed up for about another hour just talking. And then he finally said this out of the blue, just Daly sitting right beside her older brother, who's a senior in high school. And he says, boy, I've got to get to bed. I, I hit the wall. And Daly turned to him and said, Deacon, why, why would you hit the wall? You know, um, he, and he, she, she wanted to believe that, that he really literally hit the wall. Later that week, uh, Daly and my wife, Tiffany, were planning a trip to, to Florida with her mom and her sister and her sister-in-law, and they are super excited. They're there now. The boys and I are, are making it. Uh, we, we they're well-fed and they're all here, so check that off the list, you know. But but we're making it. But as they were preparing for the trip, they had planned for about two days to get packed. And then Daly and Tiffany were talking on Wednesday about what she was going to do after school between three o'clock and five o'clock, as they prepared to leave on the journey. And Tiffany told Daley what they were to do, and I didn't understand really what was going on. Uh, that morning, I dropped Daly off at school, and we were, as we were coming down Killarney Drive, Daley turned to me and says, Dad, guess what Mom and I are going to do from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock until we leave on the trip? She says, Mom Mom says we're going to twiddle our thumbs. <laughs> she had never heard that before. Just like she never heard I hit the wall, Uh, Tiffany told her, hey, we're all packed, we're all ready to go. I guess between three and five, we're just going to twiddle her thumbs. Daily was so uh, looking forward to twiddling her thumbs for the first time. (laughs) You can tell she's got a little bit of sass to her, right? Sometimes we believe strange things when people we know, trust, and love tell us. I wonder what you've been led to believe or feel about the church that's not true, but you've heard it from people you know, trust and love. We need to be very careful uh, not to allow any statement that downgrades or downplays the church to uh, affect our thinking. As followers of Christ, we must test test everything that's said about Christ's church, not this building, not the programs we do, but the church, and we must test it and see if it's true or if we need to dismiss it. The, The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, "'Test all things, hold fast to what is good.'" So what does the Bible say about the church and how good it is? Man, it's good. Hold on to that. Look, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Not just this local church, not this building, but all the brothers and sisters that are saved by grace through faith. Christ is doing things for his benefit. You know what one of those things was that he did for our benefit? Died and rose again. But anything that he's doing is for the benefit of the church. And the church is the body, his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So that's kind of complicated. Ben talked about today how some things that, that are in the word are or, or deeper. This is the next level thing. We are his body. That's what the church is. Us as brothers, sisters in Christ, we make up the body. And Christ is currently doing all things to benefit us. And he fills us with himself. You need to hold on to that. We, we rely and are built on the, the, the blessings of Christ. That gives us value as the church. So while you may hear rumors and half-truths about the church, hold on to the, the fact that we're the body of Christ and Christ is blessing us. There's where our value comes from. Hold fast to that truth. The church is really the only thing you can really hold on to for an, for an eternity. Think about that for a second. What else can you hold on to that you can have forever and be with Forever? I would submit to you the church is the only thing on this side of eternity that we will have in our midst forever. Not the building, but but us as brothers, sisters in Christ. Uh, That's what we're to hold on to because it's good. Test it and see that it's there. This building will not make it to the other side of eternity. Your business, as as much as you love it and you poured yourself into it, will not make it to the other side of eternity. Your favorite ball team will not even make it out of this weekend's bracket, okay? But what we can hold on to that will last forever is the church of Christ. We're going to spend eternity with one another through Christ. And the only thing that Jesus died for is the church. So why, on average, do so many churches die every year? Did you know that roughly 4,000 churches die annually? They close their doors in the United States? I think it's because people don't value the church. We've allowed the lies of the world to devalue. Uh, we, We haven't protected it. We've lost our purpose Maybe not here among us, but, but I think one of the things that, that we have done as a society is we've said church isn't really that important, and, and churches have started to try to survive instead of thrive. Instead of, of grow, they just try to, try to make it another year, and then what happens? End up dying. But look what Jesus he says. He told us to grow, to get out into the world, and to make disciples. Look at Matthew 28. Jesus says, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus talking to that first church, that first group of of saved, believing people, and he says, I want you to go out and and make disciples of the whole world. Don't just try to uh, go into a room and see how long you can make it without being overwhelmed by the world, but go and make a difference in the world. And that has ceased to exist at times. In 1972, there was a survey done that 92% of Americans said they were Christians and affiliated with church. Based on that Pew Research report, the same group is now reporting and projecting that by 2070, the number of people that claim to be Christian will drop below 50% for the first time. We're going to go from 1972 to 92% connected to the body of Christ to 2070 below 50 percent you're like well 2070 is a long way off i don't have to worry about that do you realize we're closer to 2070 than we are to 1972 do the math that that is upon us quickly in our culture saying the church doesn't matter uh, the lie that the world is saying is i don't need the church it's rapidly growing now you may be here today and if you're not a christian or maybe you're a brand new christian Or or maybe you're a long-term Christian. Here's some truth. Your personal decision to follow Jesus is the only thing that saves you. You're not saved by your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not saved by your fellowship here. It is vital to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But you were designed and made to live within the body of Christ. And it is true, you can worship God in nature. I've heard it, I've even said it. Some of my greatest, most intimate times of worship have been on a riverside or in a deer stand or looking at a sunrise or sunset all by myself. But we have been also made to not solely live in that isolation. We have been meant to gather with one another. We need each other. Another survey from 2019, spring forward from 72 To 2019, by Lifeway Group, they found that 65% of churchgoers agree with this statement. So you probably agree with this. The majority of you would, based on the report. 65% of churchgoers say this I can walk with God without other believers. That is a very accepted statement that I can walk with God without other believers. And there's some truth in that. It's kind of a half truth. You may hear someone say that you love and you're like, yeah, I, I know you can do that. But here's the danger that that study also found that those same people agreed almost 90% of the time that church with that concept being said is non-essential. How many of you have ever heard the word non-essential in the last couple of years? The word non-essential came out in this uh, questionnaire with Christians even before COVID existed. There was this growing mindset and a lie from our world that the church is non-essential and it's a lie. It leads people to believe I don't need the church. But you may say, but I love Jesus so much i love god my life and god's life is so in tune that as long as i love jesus and love god it's enough you know what we do when we say that and not love our brothers and sisters we become liars don't take my word for it it's in the bible look at first john chapter 4 john says this whoever claims to love god oh but i love jesus i love god yet hates his brother or sister is a liar For whoever does not love his brother or sister, and he's not talking about flesh and blood. He's not talking about people who live in the same house. He's talking about your your church family. Whom you have seen cannot love God whom you have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their their brother and sister. John here is saying it's not enough to be passionate about Jesus. We must be passionate about his church. Now, our salvation comes through Jesus alone, amen? It, it, G, our salvation is in Jesus. But, but God is calling us here to, to live well with our brothers and sisters, to grow his church. One of the most passionate people that I've ever seen in the, in the scriptures about Jesus, Peter. Remember, he's the guy that, that was so passionate about Jesus. He says, I'm going to protect you. And he cut off uh, one of those uh, soldier's ear that came to arrest Jesus. I mean, he was passionate. And Jesus knew that. So here, here's what Jesus asked a group one day. Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Where does your passion lead you to say about me? Look what Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. Peter, by the way, his Simon Peter's name meant a small stone. Upon this rock, this, this fundamental rock, I will build my church. It's, it's Christ's church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus tells Peter on the rock of his testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. I'm going to build my church there. So let's just do a little exercise for a second. If we meet in this building, and the core of what we believe is not that Jesus is the Son of living God, the Messiah. This is just a building that probably needs to be bulldozed over. If we gather as a group of people, and our main truth isn't that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of living God, we're just like a country club or a group of non-essential people. But when we come together on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of living God, Christ's church is there. And that's why it's so important. I mentioned a minute ago that Peter's name initially literally meant small pebble or stone. But Jesus says, hey, this was your name, but on this big rock that I'm the Messiah, that's what I'm going to build a church on. That's the foundation. So here's the way I look at it today. We, as no matter where you're from, Mulberry Grove or Pocahontas or, or Hillsboro or right here in Greenville, no matter where you're from, we all come together in our unique ways uh, from our unique places, and on the foundation of the Christ being our Lord and Savior, that is what we found, uh, the foundation of the church is. And it's important, and we need each other. Jesus is, in that same text, the first one to say this. He goes, I'm going to build my church. Do you know what word he uses in the Greek? You may have never heard this before, but it's actually a word uh, that uh, has a lot of meaning. It's not about a building. It's not about a program. He says, I'm going to build the ekklesia, and it literally means a gathering of people who are called out. He says, I, 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 we're not going to uh, break ground and build a church building here and have the first Christian church of whatever city they were at. He says, I'm going to call you out of the world. And on the truth of, uh, of Peter stated that I am the, the son of the living God, we're going to build a church there. So what have we been called out from? We've been called out from the world to testify and make much of Jesus about his kingdom coming. We've been called out from wherever you are, forever your background, and we've been drawn together as this one group of people committed to making much of Jesus. That's the church. And the world's not going to overcome that. We're not just to survive, but we're to thrive in that truth. Jesus said this. He says, I will build my church on this truth, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Another translation in the NIV says, the gates of hell will not prevail. This is a mindset that the power of God in us is pushing against the evil forces. And Satan has set up gates to the kingdom of his evil darkness, and Christ's power is actually pushing against that, breaking through that. That means we're on the offense Sometimes uh, in our world's culture where we said, hey, the church is losing ground. 4,000 churches are dying every year. Uh, there's a lot of problems. We're like, oh, if we could just survive another decade, another generation. No, we, we have declared in Christ we're on the offense and we're growing young to the next generation and the next generation until Christ returns. I don't know how many of you watched some of the games, that, uh, some big teams have, have fell already in the tournament. Anybody see Purdue get beat? Okay, I had Purdue going to the final four. It wasn't good for my bracket. But I was excited to have this underdog win. What I noticed about Purdue, somewhere in the second half, they went from playing offense to just trying to not lose. They, they went from uh, not excelling to win, but, but just trying not to lose. Uh, some of their teammates wouldn't even take a shot. Others, when they shot, you know, they were tense, and I, I, I feel for them. this was whenever you're tense and you're tight, you, you airball, you're short. They were uncomfortable. They were trying just to survive. They they were not going on the offensive, and it led to their loss. Guys, in much the same way and even more spiritually, know this. We are on the offense for Christ. And we're not just trying to make it through hoping to survive. We know the outcome. We are victorious in Christ, and we're to go out and grow for him, for his glory now. Uh, Jesus, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, so we can grow even against the gates of hell. The elders and staff have come up with a mission statement to kind of keep us focused on that. Just three simple things. You see it on the new wall across from the commons area. It's love God, love people, serve all. That's, that's our mission. We're going to be loving God, uh, loving people, and serving all. When we gather together on Sunday morning, we're loving God. And hopefully we're loving each other and serving one another. But we come together, love God, we're in his word. Uh, we're in fellowship. We're we're breaking bread in communion and we're we're praying. That's what the early church devoted to. That's what we're devoted to. I pray that we are serving God and and serving everyone. And we do that because everyone's valuable. Mark your calendars for this. Uh, This is the first time you've heard about this. On Sunday, April 30th, we're going to have another all church serve day. We've had some in the past. Recently, we had one in the fall. This one's going to be a little different. We're going to keep our worship services the time, uh, times the same on that Sunday morning. But from 1 until 4, we're going to go out to one another's houses, out to the community, out to our partners in, in ministry, in Bond County and beyond, and we're going to just serve people. But here's what you need to hear as much as anything. We need to serve one another first. The early church made a commitment to make sure no one in their fellowship in their church had a need. So if you have a need this spring, let an elder know, let Dean know, let myself know, let one of the the staff members know. If you have a friend in the church that you know they have a need, let us know, and we're going to do our very best that day to meet the needs, the physical needs of our church family on April 30th. On April 2nd, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for that because we want the whole church to serve. We want to get out and be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another and to our neighbors. It's a great opportunity. I also want to remind you of six values. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. These are six values that the leadership, the elders have committed to to keep us focused on being the church that Christ has called us to be. The first one is this in no specific order, this though, but we value unity in the Spirit. If we try to be a church by our own strength, our own wisdom, it won't be long before we come apart. We're going to be another bad rumor on on Facebook. We're going to be another half-truth where people condemn what what Christians try to do. But when we're united with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing things what can happen. When we're empowered by Him, we we can do more than we can even imagine, Scripture tells us. Think about the early disciples. Jesus said, go out into the world and and, uh, disciple Make disciples. He says, "I'm going to leave you, and I want you to go." Did he say, "Hey, just go at it right then?" No." He says, "I'm, I'm going to leave, and then I want you to wait and do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes." Remember, they're, they're in the upper room and, and, and they're to do nothing. They're, they're not to go out to the world at all. but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then be my witnesses in much the same way and even more today, uh, we need to wait for the Holy Spirit to move. We need to be empowered and unified by Him. Ephesians 4 says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. If we're not unified, we're going we're to come divided. So I want to ask you to pray for unity with your spouse, with your children, among the elders, among the staff, among the church family. Pray for unity. Uh, secondly, uh, we value generosity. We don't I like to talk about money a lot, but it's important. It's one of the things we value. We value being generous with our resources, with our money, with our time. I think a godly church, we're committed to this, a godly church is a generous church. Now, very seldom will you ever hear the elders or myself ask for money specifically. Praise God, we don't have to beg for money. If you ever feel like you're being pressured to give, don't give at that time. The Bible uh, tells us to to not be a compulsive giver, but but be a joyful giver. And I want to commend you for being generous. You're, You're very generous. Keep it up. Look what the scripture says in 1 Timothy. Teach those who are rich in the world. That's you. Many of you are rich compared to the world. You're blessed to not be proud, to not trust in their money which is so unreliable. Have anybody caught word this week that our, our financial system may be just a little unreliable at times? It says, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, I'm telling you, uh, to use your money, to do good. They should be rich in good works and be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That is what the word of God asks us to do. Since you've been blessed, be a blessing to others keep being generous. Uh, and I want to say, you are so generous. You have put a, the church in a position over the last 50 years or so to be generous. Uh, of every dollar that's given in the generosity boxes, 15 to 16 percent of it, right off the top, goes to missions. Globally, nationally, locally, outside of our walls, right off the top, that money goes to help others. And I, and I want to say thank you for that, for, for doing that well. One of our partners that also has received some of that generosity is CORE Communities. You just saw us celebrate that in in the CORE Community report of of how uh, the lives are being changed. We have a blessing today. Rebecca, she tells me, from Kansas. You'll see why. Uh, That is her name. Uh, Rebecca, we're just going to call her from Kansas today.